we had this moment where we were pitching to the, the first round of judges and that something happened during that pitch that has never happened when we were pitching a game, which is somebody looked at it and they go, that is I could really see myself using this a lot. She right? said, I need this right now. I need, yeah. I, I need this right now for my clients, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, when you're pitching a game, people are like, oh. Scotch. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 173 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast, Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and my mind is somewhat intact. I'm Sam, and I'm a front-end programmer, apparently. And I wouldn't th- go that far. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is Octopus Drifting 2018. Before we get started, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and we're going to talk about adult things. So if you're a child, you can scoot on out here. All right. First, we'd like to thank our supporters from moneygrab.bscotch.net. Now, we got a new new recurring supporter. Oh, hey. Yeah. Uh, we got a message as well from DVXMe. Thank you very much for your insights, funny, light banter, and deep philosophical stuff, too. You guys have helped me through hard times with the podcast. The process taught crash nets and even the nerve-wracking escape to space from Flop Rocket. Mm-hmm. You inspire me. So thank you very much. Oh, Super nice message. Um, we also got a, a number of other recurring supporters we'd like to thank as well. Uh, we appreciate that a lot. Uh, to Studio News, Shenanicon. It's, tw- it's coming up. It's happening, I guess, in two, three days. Three days three. from the time of the podcast coming out on Wednesday. So Thursday, Friday. Uh, this is the final week, and we did extend ticket sales all the way to Friday. So there are a few left. 20 at this fill moment. In, fill in there. So um, it's going to be a very, very fun time. I think we're all getting real excited now that it's right around the corner. Yeah. So uh, come come on over to our neck of the woods, you know, eat some barbecue, yep. play some level head. You're going to you're gonna see some weird podcast. stuff in this level head thing that nobody has seen before. Yep. And you're going you're gonna to see some things that probably nobody will see yeah. again. Because yep. you're catching it, you know, midstream and development. Yeah, it's so. not. It's not ever going to look like this again, and and for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, you're you're be catching this very interesting snapshot where you're, you're going to look. You're going to look at this idea that we have that we've decided to to add to this game that seems crazy. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think I can confidently say that that you will see something that no one has ever seen before. Yeah, that is actually. I'm confident it's going to be true. <laughs> and, and we will be disallowing photography and video yes. during that section. So too yeah. bad. Because we want to keep, this is going to, it's going to be a thing. It's going yeah. it's not ready. It's not ready for public eyeballs. Yeah. And it's possible. We don't, we don't know. We still don't know for sure yet, but it's possible that we'll actually be demoing the secret Crashlands update that you mm-hmm. all know has happened, but don't know anything about. Um, yeah. So, we'll, so if you want to get your grubby fun. mitts on that, <laughs> get on in there. Uh, those tickets are $15, and that's at meet.bscotch.net. There will be food, and there will be a live podcast episode, and a nice little sort of mingly meet and greet nice kind of thing. Hang out. Mingle fest. So, and this is this is one of those things that we want to grow year over year and keep doing. And so this is this is the first one. V1. If you want to if you want to pull the hipster move of, you know, five years from now, coming to Shenanicon and being like, oh my God, like back. When I went to the first one, mm-hmm. and it was so much smaller, you gotta like, be so kombucha while you do this yeah, stuff. So much more intimate, and it was like we just we just hung out with the devs and chatted. Oh, and stuff. oh my god! Like now, <laughs> now it's all like now it's all corporate, and there's all <laughs> has all these sponsors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to be able to do that, 
five years from now, make sure you get in on this one because mm-hmm. it's the first. Yeah, and it's an important way to to prove your value to other people is to have, have make sure they know how much exactly. worse things are now. Exactly. That they're part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you gotta you gotta plan ahead for these though. You can't you can't just have been the first you know mm-hmm. at a thing. Like you have to actively plan and and just go do it. That's right. You know, it takes it takes effort to be that deep into like into the hipster way of life. Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, in the news, we did Global Hack this past weekend. Mm-hmm. So. What is Global Hack? What is it's a hackathon? Did we talk about it last week? I don't remember I anything think, for the past three. Weeks. I don't know. I'm in a I'm in a sort of a fog right now. We may or may not. I have. think we did. So Global Hack is a, a St. Louis hackathon, which is essentially a game jam, but where you solve actual problems. Yeah, and uh, and also in this particular case, there's money involved. So the and hackathon, it's a, it's a, and this is a civic hackathon, so it's meant to solve some sort of civic problem. Correct. So people yes, problems. It's not like an API hackathon for a payment processor of any sort. Uh, it is a a civic one, and so the the prompt this year was uh, immigration. So they basically they give this big presentation at at the outset, which shows essentially kind of four or five of the sort of top focus areas that this basically this large group of the immigration bodies in uh, St. Louis has put helped put together, sort of in this plan for how the how the hack is going to run. And then they turn everybody loose, and your whole goal is just to build something that actually you know helps some aspect of this uh, gigantic problem, and so. Uh, you know, Adam's the back end. Well, I guess I keep saying it. Adam's the, the entire stack, stack uh, of our studio in terms of web development. And what full stack means for people who don't know, if you ever hear that thrown in programming, there's back end and there's front end. So in web development, back end is like the people who make the database, make all the numbers fly around in the background. And then the front end is the people who make it all look really good and function nicely for someone who's using it. And uh, collectively, you refer to all the technology you use as the technology stack. Mm-hmm. So like, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like the face and the butt of the website. Mm-hmm. You know? That's right. Well, like the face and the guts, probably. No, nope. not just the butt. It's just the butt. Just the sometimes butt. butts look real good too. You know, that's true. But that's also where poop comes out, <laughs> which is yeah. basically what an error is. Right. That, okay. Sure. <laughs> so it's kind of a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> if you're full stack, then you actually, as a programmer, you are. You are proficient in all of the different pieces that allow you to essentially be the whole body mm-hmm. as opposed to just being the face or just being the butt or whatever yeah. else. And so uh, Adam's full stack, but for the purposes of the hackathon, butt. he's a full stack butt, but full stack butt. <laughs> <laughs> for the purposes of the hackathon, uh, this is this really funny discussion we had on Friday because we we're getting prepped for it. And Adam basically taught us how to use this, this language called Node.js, which is it's JavaScript. It's JavaScript. For those who aren't familiar, this is like a very common web uh, language. But uh, he sort of crash coursed the the other three of us hooligans in yeah, an hour, like two hour two hours. yeah, and then and then oriented towards the the sort of the front end part, which mm-hmm. is made in view, which is whatever, just another piece of technology, another piece of technology. Um, and, then, and then I was like, so somehow this weekend, um, I'm basically going to get this thing templated out, and I'm going to run ahead and frame out this website so that it exists, mm-hmm. and then everybody else's job is to have it look nice and get some content in there. Yep, um, and so. With using skills that you don't have yet, so yeah, uh, so I need to brush up on in Sam's case. Yeah, so I've just done, uh, just get in there. I've done any front end programming for seven or eight years now since my since my web development days. Yeah, well, actually, which were this really is interesting because it actually means something different now than it used to. Because now, when you say front end development, uh, what it actually means is like is the view stuff, right? It's actual. It's like it's all these other tech pieces now. Yeah. yeah, and it and it used to be basically like you know. Hand coding, hand HTML. coding like PHP to to mm-hmm. build websites or something like that. 
And so, and so it is, so it is funny because now every time you, you refer to yourself as like, you did the front end web development this time, I'm like, no, I did the front end web development. <laughs> uh, cause you, cause you were doing all the CSS and all this uh, stuff, right? Which, which is what it used to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does like, it keep that, that piece of it keeps on moving further and further on the end. And that's actually that's now, that's now basically called the design, right? Is the, the people who actually go in and, and do all the decoration to make it actually look mm-hmm. good and all that kind of stuff um, is now like that's becoming more and more just this is the designer role. OK, right? so, so I designed it. Yeah, I guess. And uh, we ended up taking second place. Third place. Third, Third place. place. I mean, at this thing. So I can't even talk. <laughs> I can't even think properly, um, which which is awesome because we won a giant check. It's the first giant check yeah. I've ever held in my life. It's very yep. fun. Well, it's, and it, weird. of course, the weird thing about these giant checks is they're not real. Yeah. So it's it's basically it's cheaper to print a giant check than to like get a trophy made, right? Mm, so they're good. like, this I is, think this is fun too. It's like a novelty. Totally. It is. You know, this one does smell like chemicals, though. Yeah. Yeah. We put it in the podcast room, which we are now recording from overnight, and uh, we're feeling it. <laughs> feeling a little <laughs> loopy. It's possible we're getting stoned as this is mm-hmm. as this is going on. But it was funny because it's a uh, so the the three different cash prizes. They had three different cash prizes per division, right? So there's the pros, who are basically people who do this full time for a gig, and then are doing. Oh, really? Actually, pros is just anybody who's not a college kid. That's true. It's actually kid. if you're older than college kid. Yeah. So uh, so you actually might be from a, like a technical or just whatever competency standpoint, you might be in the pro division, but not be anywhere near as capable as like anybody in the high school or the college. Division. Right. So it's by age, weirdly. It's by age, not by like what you do. Yeah. yeah. So there's high school, college, and then pro. And so, um, we did all of our pitching and stuff yesterday, and it was pretty fun in terms of just like you know wrangling all that energy and stuff. And then uh, after we all got our checks, we were laughing because the the teens got their check for winning, and the checks are between like ten, like five thousand and fifteen. The, on the, the lowest teen one side. was twenty five hundred for the third place on the teens. Okay, yeah. so and and the highest then, one was twenty five thousand for the first place in the pros. Yeah, so uh, you know we have this. Everyone's getting these huge checks, very much money, but so it's just fun to like actually place at this thing. But it's very funny because we all we're all just sort of sitting there, and the the teens get their check, and they are just they're screaming over the moon, just yep. screaming <laughs> and just losing their minds. And all of the pros are just looking at each other and just holding our giant checks. And but but all of us are just kind of uh, I don't know the word for it. We're doing the math. Yeah, <laughs> and we're just sort of like. It's completely silent because we're sitting here. We're like, all right, so we got to split this thing, and then there's taxes, and then you know, we got to figure out the logistics of like. And I'm looking, I'm like, I just ripped my tooth out of my head last week, so this is just going to pay for my tooth. Yeah. So yeah. like once you, once you split once you split <laughs> the money, pay your taxes. Uh-huh. You got a couple hundred bucks left over, and then you can pay your dental bill from last week. Although you still have a few thousand dollars left over, right. but when you're an adult, a few thousand dollars doesn't go. Nearly as far as it's usually just from patching up the holes. You've, yeah, you've got yeah. like, like you've you're got rent. Just, you've got yeah. health insurance. You've yeah, got, for me, like it's 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 nice because it's it sort of gives you it lets you have a sigh of relief, but it's not a thing that you become joyful over. You know, you're just like, oh, okay, this will this will this will this will tide me over for yeah a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so well, very yeah, funny. and thinking about you know it. If I was a teenager and I got one of those giant checks, A, like the number on the – I wouldn't be thinking anything past just the number on the check. I wouldn't yeah. be thinking about the taxes. I wouldn't be thinking about the split. Because yeah, the first place teen group got $10,000. Which is the same yeah. amount we got. And I think there were like yeah. seven people on their team, something like that. Yeah. But it, looked, it was a bunch of people. I don't yeah. know what it was. but uh, so, so you're already you know splitting that out. Then you're paying taxes on that thing, and then, but then as a as a teenager, you know, depending on what your life situation is, your expenses may entirely comprise of like going to movies, and eating Doritos, yeah. you know, uh, which you could do a lot of that 
with, yeah. a, with yes. a few hundred dollars. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. Well, right. I think the other hilarious point of contrast between the, the different age groups was that was that people dressed down as the divisions went up. <laughs> That's true. So like all the – on pitch day, all the, the teens, they were looking oh, they super were sharp. Nice. Oh, yeah. They were in suits. They were wearing like really nice dresses and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the, the college division and it's like sort – of It's a little it's more kind of playful, mixed. It's though, like a little you know? more business casual yeah. and like kind of ill-fitting suits, uh-huh. you know? And then <laughs> – and then – uh, then you get to the pro division, and everybody's like bags under their eyes, wearing sweatshirts. <laughs> it, was, I think it, was a, it was a combination of flannel, t-shirts, and Je- sweatshirts. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And jeans. then also, I think Seth noticed when we were looking at the 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 team or the the, the names of the products that all the teams had mm-hmm. made, and when they were going into the next round of judging, that based on the division, the division basically predicted how long, how many characters, how many characters were in the name of the product. Yeah. So the the names of the the projects that the team division made were super long. They yeah. were often like five words and then turned into an acronym or mm-hmm. something like yep. that. And then the the college division was kind of like a mix. And the pro division was like – ours was five characters. Yeah. And that was the whole name. Every single one of them. Were, almost every single one of them was one word. Yep. Yeah. Across the yeah. board. Right? Because the, the pro division, they're thinking about like, okay, accessibility, marketability. Like we need to come up with a URL mm-hmm. for this thing. Branding. We need something that's easy to remember yep. but concise, you know. Yep. And, uh, and lower down, they're basically trying to sort of explain what they're doing in the title – Right. And also have some sort of a, you know, punchy like pun or something involved. Right. Thing. So, yeah, it was really it was cool to kind of see how like how life experience shapes. Yeah. Just yeah. Shapes the way that you're yeah. going to approach. It was, I, I thought it, was, it. it was very cool to be the, to see all these kids being super pumped about spending a weekend. Just, yeah. Just programming. Just programming There's a ton of them. Solving there. A there were a lot of them. There's a ton of people. Uh, I mean, the pro division still, you know, by far had the most people. But uh, but even still, like, like there was. I think there were at least I think there were twenty teams for the high school. Yeah, there were over seven hundred people total at yeah. the event. So yeah, so I thought that was really it was really fun to see. And we had a, a bunch of them came in and chatted with us a bit, and they were just clearly so excited about programming and solving problems yeah. and stuff. And and uh, and it gave me a little bit of of hope in this dim world of ours <laughs> that, <you know? laughs> that there are kids out there who just like truly love doing hard, interesting work. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, it was fun. What did you guys think of the what was the overall experience for you? Uh, I guess probably less I guess, interestingly for you, Adam, because we've done a bunch of game jams before. Yeah, well, we basically but you're usually we basically made opposite roles. Yeah, right? so you're so, usually like the uh, the sort of the guy who makes the stuff become very weird and interesting during the game jam. But there's not usually a lot for you to do. No, there's not usually much, and it's and it, my my wheelhouse is still going to be in the and that, and the more you gain fluency in something, sort of the more you lose in other things, right? So so. Uh, as I've become much, much better as a web programmer and spend all my time thinking about it, my ability just to kind of jump into Game Maker and contribute something is just like going – and it was never high in the first place, but it's just going down, you know? <laughs> and so so realistically, I can't – and at the same time, Seth's fluency has been going up, right? So I can't realistically contribute to a game jam on the sort of the game pro- pro- programming side uh, as a teammate with Seth, because all I can do is like slowly hack something together that Seth could have just spent five minutes doing. Because I'm not I'm not competent enough to even if I spent the whole weekend that I can't really like truly contribute something that he couldn't have just done better mm-hmm. and not and actually saved time by doing right. it. Right. <laughs> uh, so so what was it like for you then being so in the here I got school? to be in where the part where it actually matters. So so to me it was super fun um, because. There was never a moment where, unlike the in the past jams, where I was like, "What should I be doing?" And, and even that, like, <laughs> sh- does it even matter? Because also the chances of us implementing, because I'd be like, like for our past projects, I'd be building some, you know, like a server and a, mm-hmm. an API and like getting stuff ready to go, so that Seth could hook it up and make something 
happen on the web. But I also knew the whole time that that was going to be the last thing that happened. And so chances were pretty good that all the stuff that I came up with wouldn't even be implemented and it wouldn't even matter because it was happening, you know, completely perpendicular to the actual product being made. And so, so for this, where I basically just got to say like, whatever I can accomplish, that's what this thing is going to look like, Mm -hmm. which is now basically what Seth's case normally is. Right. Uh, And, and so I could just kind of, I just had to keep on working the whole time. And there was never a moment where I was like, is this worth doing? Is this, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, is there any reason for me to be spending my time doing this at all? Maybe I should spend my time. Yeah, you got to, instead. you got to have the experience of if I stay up for one more hour, yeah. it's going to make a huge difference in <laughs> yeah. how yeah. this thing turns out. Yeah. So, so I actually had, I had a blast doing it. And, and I also, uh, I've only been building production software. And so I haven't gotten to just sit down and prototype a website just for like shits and giggles. Just like hack the shit out of it. Yeah, where I didn't have to worry at all about security, about error handling, about just anything. Mm-hmm. Because abuse. Abuse because almost – I mean it's solidly 90% of all of my work is in those things. It's not actually in just like making a thing look the way I want it to or making a thing work the way I want it to in, in general. Um, and so getting to go from just here's a cool idea and so basically Sam mostly spec'd out like how this thing was going to flow and like what, what all the parts were. And I can just look at that and say, cool, and then just kind of go start putting it together mm-hmm. without worrying about anything. Um, it was really fun, and, and, and it was a thing I realized I just don't know how to do, actually. So basically, it's essentially jamming in a website context, yeah. right? Yeah. Because you don't, you weren't worried about, you know, is, uh, is optimization. It work on all is it going to work on browsers? Like, yeah, am, I, exactly. am I forcing my users to download too much stuff? Right. Is it is it flow well on all different dimensions on a on mm-hmm. a on a desktop browser? You know, like I didn't have to worry about any of that. Yeah, we was just we just locked it to a Galaxy S five uh, view dimensions. Yeah. I yep. was just like, I'm not designing yeah, this. Sam did, yeah, I was also like, <laughs> Sam didn't have enough time to design, and also because of the time gap between the last time you used CSS and now. Yeah. I was learning it again. Yeah. So you didn't have, you didn't have time to, because there's a certain kind of way of designing where you basically make, make a website that just will tend to work at any different width, you know? Um, but that's a thing you got to practice. And it's a thing that requires like being. And importantly, that was a thing that just started happening as I was sort of being done. Yeah. You, you got to recognize that like iPhones and smartphones came out around the year that you started doing web programming. And that was also the only year that you did web that's programming. True. Yeah. So the idea to, of yeah. making response, you know, dynamic responsive websites that, that can be new. viewed on any device yeah. was not a concept yeah. because you only well, ever p- viewed them were on doing computers. it, but that was like a niche thing that, you know, that, yeah. And everybody was like, why would you do this? Yeah. And now, and now the, the court is, and I, that was also back in the day when they used to have every major website had, had one that also started, started with M it'd be like M dot yep. CNN.com or whatever. Right. Because they had entirely separate infrastructure for their built a separate website, separate website for mobile, for mobile sites, <laughs> and uh, and in a lot of ways they had to right because mobile devices were real shitty and their browsers were shitty and like mm-hmm. so so they actually in a lot of ways needed to do that. Um, but now for the most part, in most modern frameworks, now talk about mobile first design. Yeah, because in the last time I looked at our stats, which was a couple of years ago, uh, more than sixty percent of all of our traffic on our websites uh, comes from mobile, mm-hmm. and that's for you know that's for a game studio, right? And I imagine you might see some differences depending on what the content is, but my bet is it's not that much, actually. I think most people only visit websites on their phone now, you yeah. know? And uh, and so realistically, that's the world that we live in. But yeah. but that's such a huge difference between, you know, seven years ago and now. And so, so it, was, it was an interesting thing to figure out, like, kind of what are the constraints that we have to apply to this thing given where everybody's at? Just to at, get it done. Just to yeah. get it done. Yeah. And, and I think the big realization I had afterwards, especially given now what the event turned out to be, that we should have focused even – I should have done even less to try to make the thing the function like a website and basically not even had a back end. And it should have just been a front-end website that behaved as if, you know, as if it <laughs> had some other stuff. Because uh, well, truly the – I mean the 
the things that win are going to be the things that are the most beautiful things. Yeah, that, that feel polished and feel complete. On top of, of course, having a good idea. Yeah, and that, yeah. That, that was the feeling that we got as we, you know, because we, we got the third place, which we were very happy about. Mm-hmm. As we're looking at the things that got uh, first and second place, we were just like, man, they just outpolished us By a real yeah. good. Yeah. You By know? a good margin. Uh, yeah, so we, because we, yeah, we did focus so much on making sure that everything was actually functional. Yeah. That we didn't think about the fact that nobody's going to actually care whether it works. Yeah. Right. Because you get to pitch it in four minutes. Yeah, you, <laughs> you have four, you four, minutes, four to minutes to pitch. Nobody uses it. But we, yeah. So this is our first time doing this. And so we didn't know what we thought was going to happen was that we would like sit down with, uh, you know, some, some judges who were like technical right. experts and they would like tear it apart. Yeah. But actually, that's not really what happened. We just kind of like pitched the vision of the thing. We got a few questions about, you know, the the general flow of the user experience and maybe some potential problems we had thought about in terms of like how this mm-hmm. might be abused. Or, yeah, you know, but it was mostly like related to, to, to very high level stuff. Oh, yeah, st- that stuff that, that if we actually developed this thing, we'd be thinking about like, you know, a year into development. Yeah. Well, and we'd, 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 we'd already been worrying, we'd already be worrying about it from a design perspective, but yeah, but we wouldn't be implementing it at all for, for right. a long time. Right. Well, I want to say uh, kudos to you, Adam, for both carrying the team a little bit, you know. Just a little bit. Just though. a little bit. <laughs> uh, but actually mainly because, so you were under like intense pressure to constantly be producing because of course only the things that you made were going to show up in mm-hmm. the thing. But uh, all of us, of course, didn't know what the fuck we were doing. And so, so we every to 20 Adam, minutes, right? yeah, every 20 minutes we're like, I uh, can't, Adam. Could you, <laughs> how the fuck does this go? But honestly, and then come over and be like, "Oh, you just do this." But but as it you guys like, know, I just love it when people learn programming. So it's like and, it's just nice, and I love I feel it when like you're in your element. Well, yeah. the thing is, like, is is because I actually didn't care if we won, and honestly, I didn't expect that we would that we would place mm-hmm. um, because because I because I knew where we were starting at, which was like we were just making this up. We'd never done a hackathon before, and we were using uh, tech that I was the only one that Building. knew anything right. about it, right? And so, so re- I, I was like, our chances of winning this thing are, are literally zero. Well, so. and we couldn't see any other projects until we had already submitted ours. Yeah, and so, and so there was no way to even know who. We were like, yeah, we, didn't, we don't know where like, we're at. We have no idea whether we're even in the running for like the top half. You yeah, know, yeah. so yeah, so so my my perspective on it was just like I actually felt no pressure because because uh, I wasn't trying to because <laughs> I wasn't trying to win because I didn't think that we right. could, but I still wanted to put the best thing forward that we could. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but otherwise, I was basically I was just pumped that everybody was like trying to f- was coming into my domain to try to learn some stuff because that gave me a chance to try yeah. to just pull people in a little bit, right. you know. Uh, but also, as we talked about in the past, when you're really siloed in your tech uh, and when you're building stuff that mostly is invisible, um, which is true for any technology, right? Uh, where you're programming stuff, um, it's really satisfying to, to let other people see it in a way that they kind of understand something right. because then you know you're like okay you get it you now you understand at least a little bit more like what the hell I'm doing over here you know yeah, yeah. and so there's yeah, something kind of nice about that I was in there <laughs> yeah, real weird well, there's a lot going on so yeah, I got your experience so I, I got to work stuff. with uh so normally I, I'm using game maker all, all the time all day <laughs> oh, yeah. all day yeah. every day yeah that's like, again like you get you get that really high fluency in that language right and I've been using game maker since 2010 for like 40 plus hours a week, every week. Um, and, and I, I know I've spent probably about 30 to 40 hours in my life in Python and I've developed in C sharp for eight months over when we were working mm-hmm. at our previous studio. So I've, you know, I've kind of like poked around other languages, but I would say at least 99% of my programming time has gone into just one thing, which is game maker. Um, so this time around, Adam, you know, gives this crash course on node, uh, so I got to use JavaScript, which is actually very similar to Game Maker in a lot yeah. of ways. But it's just it's all it's more powerful in a lot of other ways as well because it's not just for games and it's for literally anything, yeah. right? Um, and so I got to play around with a new IDE, which is VS Code, which 
I'm just going to start using that for all that's, kinds of stuff now. Nice. I've been I've been using it for a couple years now, I think, and I just love that thing. Yeah, so I, I got to add some new tools to my toolkit, mm-hmm. which I'm going to actually be looping back in and sort of developing tools to help me with Game Maker, but using nice. JavaScript and VS Code. Um, so that's going to be super cool. And then otherwise, a lot of my most of my time was making sure that we had content for the mm-hmm. site. So so a lot of what I had to do was track down information on look so just to kind of like go back to what our actual thing was that we made the problems that we the problem that we were handed for the global hack was essentially every problem that immigrants deal with yes. that was kind of, that was basically <laughs> the prompt in yep. a in a nutshell so they said you know here are some of the things and they would list things like you know finding uh, figuring out how to get health insurance um figuring out how to get a job finding a community to to live in mm-hmm. um finding housing and then just basic people problems like how to get around town how do you do laundry how do you pay your taxes you and know, also you know sort of uh, informing the community that you're landing in about the culture that you come from and who you are so that there's some sort of a knowledge share going on so that it's easier to integrate yeah. and so on. and so the interesting thing about as we were looking through all these questions we were like this this is just every problem that that people have just full stop mm-hmm. right like in, like this is this is even the same as like quote immigrating from being a college student into the real world you know yep. like how do how do i do my laundry how right. do i get food you know um and so so we decided to develop, develop this application that was basically a way for uh people from traveling from one country to another to sort of build a repository of knowledge about what that move was like and then how they how mm-hmm. they kind of did that so um so that means that we had to do a lot of stuff working with different languages and different countries and things like that. And so I had to track down to populate the site with all these options of like choosing what country you're from and what country you're going to and choose your flag, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I had to go scrape data from all these these sort of uniquely created websites mm-hmm. um, to get the names of the countries, the names of the languages, and everything is totally different. So like one site may refer to the United States as USA. Another site may refer to it as United States. Another one is United States of America, et cetera, et cetera. So every country has like 10 different names um, and that's in one language. Mm-hmm. And then so, uh, the same country might have 10 different langs, la- 10 different names in 30 other languages as right. well. So my entire Saturday mm-hmm. was uh, like undoing all that spaghetti mess you sort of extracted the data and then simple turn yeah, turn yeah. that information into a library that we could populate the site with of country codes, country names, country names in 30 languages, what languages are spoken in that country, and then the names of languages in other languages. The names of languages and the names of languages in other languages, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> so, the idea is, you know, if you come in and you say, Oh, I'm a Spanish speaker, and then you then you at, should see Spanish names of countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like Estados Unidos is the United States yep. of America, but that's not what's called in English, right? So so it's it's something that you don't think about when you're from one country, you haven't immigrated somewhere, and you only speak one language, is that there's just this unbelievable combinatorial explosion of ways that people can talk about and read things, right? <laughs> right. And so so my whole job was basically using JavaScript to take all that information and turn it into something that we could put into a mm-hmm. website. So that was enlightening. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Did you find because you're usually, it makes you realize just how much bigger the world is than you could ever possibly conceive of. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. The whole thing we found is that between all the different countries that could immigrate to so 195 countries, you have 38,000 pairwise combinations of like from your country to another country. And so, right. So you think, it's a huge, what, crazy like, yeah. problem. So right? you think, okay, here in the United States, somebody could come from 194 other places, mm-hmm. right? 
but they could also go the other direction. Yeah. They could come from the United States mm-hmm. and go to yeah. 100. depending on the direction places. of that move from those two different places, you have a completely different experience. Completely different experience. So, yeah, so moving, just saying like, oh, yeah, I'm moving from the U.S., that doesn't mean anything until you say where well, you're going. This is even right? true between any two like cities within it. I mean, think about like my be, move yeah. from Dallas to St. Louis, right? Yeah. Uh, like what? What would I? What would be good for you to know about? Yeah, that? I'd be like, you know, you know what? What's what route should I avoid on the way there? Right, because because mm-hmm. there's like tollways and all kinds of stuff on the way there. Uh, I was like, should I should I fly versus and then have my car shipped or should I just take the drive? Right. What are the pros and cons of each? Like how uh, I've got pets. Like what's the best way to get my pets between mm-hmm. these two cities? Because there are different services in every city. And, and even so on, right? what about when you arrive? Like. Yeah. What's the place I should stop at? Like, what's a close bar that's actually good? I'm yep. going to need some booze after a long move. Yeah. So the basic, the basic kind of thrust of our, of our uh, pitch or of our, of our product that we developed was it's a way for people to both ask those questions and then also answer questions. So it's almost like a Reddit style mm-hmm. um, Q&A thing. And then people can also put together guides as they – like once you've moved from from Dallas to and you can sort of describe your trip and the pros and cons and yeah, yeah. you can see like I wish I had well, known the, about this part of it. Well, a better example I think is is still keeping it from the the country to country thing because if you move from the whole point is that if you move from like Colombia was the example we gave move from Colombia to the United States uh, and you've been here for a while then you can make a guide about a specific thing so yeah like, whether it's taxes or fashion or like oh here's here's just some good social things that you need to know so you don't make an ass yeah. of yourself or even like you know. oh i moved from australia to the united states and i'm very confused about why the cups are so big mm-hmm. why is everybody drinking so many liquids <laughs> i need to know because i feel like i may be missing something <laughs> the answer am i weird probably like mcdonald's am i weird yeah. for always ordering a small and only drinking a quarter of it because <laughs> i'm full <laughs> yes here you are. Yeah, you got to assimilate now. So stretch that stomach. Yeah. You know? What was it like for you? Because you're usually the one who's in Adam's role, which is the one who's required basically to every hour of your production is the product getting pushed a little bit further. Well, I, I still kind of viewed my role that way um, in the sense that if I didn't take the time to get all that content ready, then we would have an empty shell of a website. Mm-hmm. Um it was definitely not the, – the pressure was far lower right. in the sense that the site would still work whether I got the content ready to put in there or not. Um, but I think the pitch would would fail, right? Mm-hmm. Because if we're like, here's how it would work if you – if there yeah, was you stuff can't see if there were countries in here. Yeah, because so, I also needed to compose a bunch of I, – I put together our, sort of our pitch document. I put together our marketing plan. Yeah, and you and Sherwood were hammering that stuff out and listening to the – because they had a panel about – Immigration stuff. So yeah, we also know. made sure we knew who all the judges were and like and, and where they're coming from and kind of what kinds of things they would be looking for and concerned so about. Is really mostly about the pitch. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, so we, I mean, sure, and I both looked at our roles as like we got like this isn't if we if we just decide we're going to be only half involved, then this thing's going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. And this is interesting because unlike because of the fact that it's a competition, that it's very different than a game joke. In a game jam. I I couldn't have I couldn't have done that role because that role wouldn't matter, right? Correct. But in a hackathon, it's actually much more important even than the product because mm-hmm. like as long as the product gets the idea across that's in the pitch, then like if you got a really good pitch, you could actually still do pretty well. Yeah. Uh, but with a with a game jam, you know, people want to see the, the game that you made. They want to see it play. Mm-hmm. You know, that's they want to like, just play it. They, they want to play. Yeah. It. That's the that's the only thing. Uh, but yeah, Sam, I'm also curious for you because you actually your role. Wasn't that different than usual in that you just still had to be doing stuff the whole time, yeah. right? And that if you didn't do it, the product would suck because yeah. it would look yeah. like shit. <laughs> uh, but this one was a little bit different in that for games, typically, because it's so costly to implement art into games, mm-hmm. then typically uh, every piece of work that you do makes work for Seth. Correct. But in this case, uh, 
uh, everything that I did made work for you, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I keep, could, I I could keep on moving the- ahead <laughs> yeah. and, it, and it was fine, right? Um, and, and so you actually had to sort of like trail behind and try to clean stuff up and make right. it and make it look nice. Which How does it feel? So, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it because yeah, I think it's, it's awesome. You don't have to think about what the fuck exactly. you're doing. So exactly. because essentially what happened is Adam would build the next piece of the th- – so, so I, I use this program. So as far as the overall experience, I think – it was just really good because I think, yeah. for one, it was sort of. Uh, I mean, I, like I said, I haven't done any of this front end or design as it's called now uh, in <laughs> in seven or eight years. Yeah, and I used to have ideas for websites all the time when I was working on them. Oh, actually, yeah. Now that you said that, I remember. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm sure I talked to you about them. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I have them like written down somewhere. But it was hilarious, you know. Now with the seven year gap of like, I've just been designing stuff actually for seven years in various contexts, whether it's like the podcast or like helping out with or doing design for video games or helping out with all the other weird stuff we do. And so design thinking has just been something I've been doing now for 40 hours a week for yeah, six or seven it, years. It was crazy how uh, transferable game design Yeah, it's all the same thing. to this. Yeah, yeah, it's basically, it just is. The and same. so the it's thing is actually- just a tools problem yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, right? the thing that's actually super nice for me was just seeing that, you know, as like as we saw some of the other projects and as we uh, even built our own, like being able to really easily see and then like poke a hole just exactly yeah. where a problem that a, that yeah. a design was failing at um, is just so simple. Like it just it's just kind of popping up in my mind as I'm looking at a thing. Yeah, because we were so, talking about that as we were as we were watching all the other um, uh, things go up on the stage, and they would do their pitch publicly, so we could mm-hmm. all hear the pitch, you know. And uh, and we and for everyone that came up, we were like, oh, like here, like here are the reasons that this that this wouldn't be feasible even if it did get fleshed out mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, and and we were we were sort of noticing some themes and the kinds of things that people weren't thinking about when they by when division they too. sort of yeah, and by division. And, uh, and like the, like the number one thing for the lower divisions was maintain was maintenance, right? They were talking about building these things that required an enormous amount of human effort to maintain like the knowledge base. Right. And then you look at the top three things, um, in the pro division, all through all three of those things were community maintained mm-hmm. content right. with no other administrative, with no administrative up. overhead yeah. because of that awareness of, of how costly it is to, right. to sort of, so it was, it was a really, it was just so interesting to see where people yeah. are. Well, so I think thinking. for me, it was just weird sort of, it's like sort of weird being able to see how far along, how far you've come essentially. Right. Yeah. Cause I was, especially like a snapshot. Like, yeah. snapshot. <laughs> cause, uh, well, cause we're just trapped in our domain so much. Cause we're always just thinking about games all the yeah. time that it's, it's easy to think that, that now when we go out in like the real world where people are facing real problems that you know, like that we may, maybe we can't really that we would be like a, a fish out of water yeah you know? but it turns out no it's all the same thing so yeah i use this program called uh, balsamic which has a mock-up tool spelled with a q at the with end q um and this is something i poked around with maybe like three years ago uh randomly i think for some reason we we're designing a ui for something um but didn't really get didn't actually you know try it out and this is again you know using a jam to a hackathon to you know learn a new tool or whatever else um the one thing I knew is that I needed to, from my past experience making games, was that if I didn't know what the design exactly needed to look like on the front, that if I went in there and started trying to work on it, that I would sort of rabbit hole mm-hmm. into just a stupid problem. And so I actually designed the whole website by like 11 in the morning using this wireframing tech, Balsamic. Um, and then we walked through it. So Seth was actually helping with co-design basically on that, which was super nice because in a really rapid type. It's good to have just two pairs Two brains on it. Yep. Uh, and then we went through it with everybody. And so like everyone's contributing to actually the whole wireframing process, which is really cool. Uh, and then after that, it was like, Adam, I sent the picture to Adam of the whole thing, the whole user flow, which is just all these different phones basically laid out next to each other. Um, and then he would just send over, I would just sort of get a note from him like, oh, this part's done now. And then yeah. I pull it down go and then it would it be hideous. Good. And yeah. then I would go make it look good. And I push it back over. I and think usually, the, and it was, it was funny too, because at the, at the beginning, for like the first half, probably it would, I would still make it 
I wouldn't worry about how hideous it was. It was like it was definitely mm-hmm. just like be hideous. The, the functional but, pieces are in there. Yeah, but I would I would at least like go put some initial styling on stuff so that it would be easy to like figure out where things are and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like as as time went on, I just did less and less of that so that I think the last few pages things were literally just invisible until you did something or they they yeah, had to no like figure it out. But yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe a certain minimum. Yeah, because <laughs> I was I was just like I just I have too much. I have too much to do. You just got to figure this out. Yeah, and I was pretty- inlining the CSS by the end because I was tired. I mean, it, was, it was getting chaotic. It was getting it was getting bad. <laughs> People who don't know what that means, it's just it's bad. Just bad. <laughs> it's just bad. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was. I think it was a lot of fun, and uh, and I I will be using that balsamic tool. I think actually for our UI designs now because it's always something we've struggled with is just being able to rapidly iterate on. Yeah, the there's UI. no reason you couldn't just use it on for game design. Yeah, I think the funny thing it. is with programming is that when you get tired. When programming, you you do things that are definitely making things harder. Oh yeah, but they're easier like right there in the moment. So For I that think two minutes. Yeah, like thing. a weird yeah. analog would be like if you were like laying down a railroad, right? And you've got some kind of like railroad spike driver machine, mm-hmm. and it's like, yep, every time I use this thing, it just boom, the spike goes in, and it's perfect, and I never have to worry about it. And you're doing that for twelve hours, and all, and after a while, you're like, I'm so tired. I'm just going to start hammering these in by hand. Right? <laughs> right. like, but this makes everything worse and harder. Yeah. But but because it's a mental thing and not a physical yeah. thing with with programming, then you can always think of like how you would just do it manually, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. not it doesn't feel physically. It exhausting. requires the least mental effort in that in that moment. Right. Right. Yeah. And you uh, know what it needs to look like. Yeah. And so you just type that out. And you just have to hope you don't have to revisit it. Because yeah. if yeah. you do, then you get because because now you'd have to you know remove the railroad spike by hand and then <laughs> right. get your machine out and drive it back in. Yeah. yeah, so it was a lot of fun, and I think uh, I mean sure I know I had a really good time as well, and and uh, we didn't actually get to get his, so he ended up finding this audio package that we were gonna get into the products so that you could actually do these recordings and things, uh, which is part of the whole the whole plan. Which interestingly, we didn't clearly didn't actually need to have working. Also, yeah, which we, we you know, which retrospect we now, know. now we know. Yeah. Um, but it's hilarious because he spent the whole day like wrestling with this thing, getting it figured well, out. And really, a lot of what he was figuring out, he he just didn't quite know it at the time. We, he and I talked quite a bit then at the event because he was yeah. like asking all these questions about all the stuff that that he was trying to trying to work through. And really, what he was doing was was battling all of the things that make modern web development hard, right? Mm. Because because like. You just we all just say, oh, it's just JavaScript, right? Which is true in in like a, in the way in terms of like what you're doing when you're sitting down and programming, you know. But the differences between all the different parts of the stack are in terms of like what that truly means is is huge. In that, if you're not really aware of just how the whole thing works, then things are confusing as fuck. And yeah, you can't make it work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so he was kind of trapped in this place where he basically had found a thing. He'd found this sort of a tool that somebody had made that allows you to 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 record from the browser, right? So we found this thing, uh, but the the context in which that thing was made and what it was for was just different mm-hmm. than than the context in which he needed to put it, right? Because it was like just straight up just slapping it into a browser kind of a thing, and we're doing it through Vue, which is this whole other thing. thing, right? And, and it, there's, a, there's a new process involved. And so now he was stuck in this re- weird world where – he couldn't just take the thing that he found and put it in there, then just like kind of make it work, right? He had to adapt all. He that. had to he had to learn what the difference was between those two yeah. environments, right? And then figure all that yeah. out. And so that was basically like to me, I was like, I was like, well, it's great. You just basically got to spend a day just like really learning about the guts yeah. of how how modern. So it's, so it's kind of like if you take a like a saltwater fish and you put it in fresh water, yeah. it dies. It's a problem, right? Because yeah. you're like, but it's water, and then it's I a mean, fish. It's a <laughs> fish. Like, what's the problem? I don't see, yeah, but yeah. there's some subtle differences in the environment <laughs> right. that yeah. it needs to work, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. 
Very cool. Yeah, like, overall, it was a very good time. Um, it did also make me cool think thing. if this game stuff ever falls through, we could make a website. We could, we could become We've a, always a, a web shop. Yeah. <laughs> Be a web shop. Well, the, whole t- the whole thing I kept thinking about was like, so people do this. You know, this is their thing. This is their whole job where they they go, what's a what's a real world problem? I'm going to develop some kind of web application mm-hmm. yep. and, and then like turn Just that into a company and, and sell that, yep. you know. So I kept thinking about I know I know this is completely naive. But I was like, man, this sounds so much easier than making it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like if you did a game jam, I think, and then you're like, well, this is so much easier. Well, no, but it's it's yeah, more right. about it's more about the pitch though, because like when you're making a game, you're making something that nobody truly needs. Yeah, yeah. you're I making think, yeah, something. I think pitching, I think pitching a real world problem and solution is way easier than right. Because we had this we had this moment where we were pitching to the the first round of judges, and that something happened during that pitch that has never happened when we were pitching a game, which is. Somebody looked at that and they go, that is, I could really see myself using this a lot. She right? said, I need this right now. I need, yeah. I, I, I need this right now for my clients, you know? Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, when you're pitching a game, people are like, oh. <laughs> right. I at, could, at best, yeah. if you're lucky. They might say, I want this. They're like, oh, yeah, this would be nice. This, this is nice. Different. This looks like fun, yeah. you know? But yeah. they don't need it. Yeah. And I, I don't, nobody needs it right now <laughs> uh, or ever. Right, yep. but but the thing is, like, but in, you know, the competition space is very different too. Because in games, you're everyone is solving the same problem actually, which is that people want to have fun playing video games, yep. right? <laughs> yeah. And so so we we are all every one of the you know four thousand mobile games a week that come mm-hmm. out, and now the few hundred uh, Steam. Steam games that come out we're a week, and the few dozen, the same we're all solving exactly the same one problem for exactly the same user base, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and so the, the only reason, crazy. yeah, because the only reason that pl- players buy new games is because they get bored with the solutions they already have, which right? also means they're going to get bored of your game, yeah, at some point, yeah, because your thing on. isn't useful. It's not actually right. solving a real problem, right? <laughs> so I, yeah. I think because I had that same feeling too. Like in a lot of ways, like the work itself wouldn't be any easier at all, no. right? But but convincing people that you're doing something that that means they should give you the benefit of the doubt and maybe give you some money or give you a loan or give you whatever, right? Uh, that clearly is is a much easier. What's well, weird because the problems are harder. Oh yeah. But once you solve it, it's probably easier to to show that that's the case. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yep. So well, and you also can choose to solve problems that that don't currently have good solutions, right? Unlike for games, which the, there's again, no the problem. problem. There's no, <laughs> actually, there's no yeah. problem. Actually, may, actually, now that I think about it, maybe the problems aren't harder. I don't know. What's what makes a problem hard? I mean, that is true. It's, it's the, it's, what so makes a problem hard is that it's hard to come up with the solution, right? The problem, the problem itself usually. isn't hard. It's just a problem. Yeah. The solution is the hard part. So, yeah. So maybe it's more about just the fact that in, in games, everyone is solving the same problem. And so there's no niche. Exactly. Yeah. You, you could find a weird, like, marketing niche, but that's all you have. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways. All right. Well, let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on a future episode, go over there, put your message in the text box. First question comes from 99 Crusader. Hey, devs. Love your podcast and the work you do. I bought tickets to the Shenanicon for my wife, and we look forward to meeting you. For my wife and I. And we look forward to meeting <laughs> awesome. you. Story time and question. I'm fairly new to coding. And after working late, I went to Discord to update my progress on my game. And I started using semicolons instead of periods to finish my sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Is this something I should uh, be getting used to? Thanks. And keep up the excellent I was, work. I was actually thinking about this recently because now that I do spend now most of my kind of waking time uh, uh where I'm like where I'm actually like using my brain effectively, you know, almost all of that is in solving problems with JavaScript specifically, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and so I noticed this. I think it was last week. Um, I was 
I was playing music because I, I basically, as I've said before, I just have like either a playlist or a soundtrack or whatever that I play on repeat just indefinitely. Um, and I, I've only, there's only still about three of them that I've been playing for the past years, right? So I've heard all of these songs like a thousand times. Uh, when I'm programming, it's it's just white noise. It's mm-hmm. just like this pleasant sort of sensation that I get, you know. But it doesn't have it doesn't distract me at all. It has no like I can't even I can't see any impact of that that fact on my programming. Um, and I think in preparation for the for this uh, for this event for the hackathon, I needed to like go read some of the materials about like what was going to happen or whatever. You know, so like so I was like I switched over from programming and then went over into the space, and all of a sudden like. I couldn't read. read because of how distracting the music was, right? Because mm-hmm. it had lyrics in it. Uh, and so I was thinking about this and I was like, this is interesting because I think this is sort of a, a thing about fluency mm-hmm. uh, where when I'm – because I've, I've gained enough fluency in in programming that I'm thinking in programming. I'm not thinking – I'm not thinking using English. You're thinking right? in language and so there's no uh, – There's no conflict. Cr- there's no conflict. It's right? like speech jamming. Exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. speech jamming. Uh, and so to me also, I realized that that was actually mm. now fully true that I was just thinking in programming. I wasn't thinking in English. Converted so so you're saying if somebody was singing in JavaScript, that would be. Oh, yeah. Confusing. Well, but no, but even that. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they couldn't, right? Because they would yeah. then just be using English to express JavaScript, which then I could still t- tune out and it would be fine. That's true. There's no like spoken equivalent to thinking in, in programming unlike mm. there is for for written stuff, right? Whoa, wait a minute. And so, so, but, so, so I, I noticed this. I thought it was really cool and interesting, but I, but this also meant that as as I've as I've said, if if you're increasing fluency in something, you're losing it somewhere else. And this goes on to explain like I've been finding I always find it increasingly difficult to sort of get my verbal brain kicked on and going when I sit down to chat with somebody. Mm, this has uh, been the case sometimes, but I think especially when you were working on Rumpus early, because you'd be doing these like ten hour, you were just you were just kind of gone. Yeah, and I think at one point I talked to you. If you do, you were doing this like four days, and you just seemed kind of like mean and i was like i remember i talked to you i was like i was like hey are you okay like did i <laughs> or do just something? like very uh like blunt very short yeah. i was like are you okay like, are we fine and you're like oh yeah i've just been programming a lot <laughs> yeah so I, it it made it so that it was it took a lot of effort to like to use the fluency that i normally use right. for having social communication right, right. well and, and it's there's this kind of agitation that kind of like if you've been programming all day and somebody talks to you in in human words, yeah. then it kind of pisses you off. <laughs> and it, it really does. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not it's not that you're being it's mean. It's more that you're just frustrated that you're having to like keep switching gears back into mm. yeah. talking like a person. I just weird thought because yeah, I was like, habit. all right, so ancient humans, no written language, only verbal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And then for the longest time, it's now been a combination of you know verbal and and written. Right. Because mm-hmm. you can read written words out loud and you can take verbal words and put them into writing. Mm-hmm. So programming, I guess, is like the next phase of that, which is it's a language that can only be written. Right. And it, well, it can be written in thought. It can be written in thought mm-hmm. and read, but it cannot be uh, verbalized. Yep. Yeah. Because it only makes sense sort of in your brain. In your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty well, – I think it's one of the things I realized. I just actually – it's what, that I enjoy so much about programming is kind of it's that it's, I think the reason I've always found it to be meditative is that meditating is really just not talking to yourself, yeah. right? In in your language, yeah. And so if you're deeply immersed in a problem like programming or whatever uh, that doesn't use human language to to like think about, then you're basically meditating now. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I guess it's kind of similar to like doing a painting or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah doing doing anything nonverbal. Yeah, because you can't like say a painting. No, nope. <laughs> you can only see it and 
Yeah, and you might have some like some verbal thoughts here and there of like, oh, maybe I should throw a little dash. Like you might mm-hmm. like actually think that, and I, and I do that in programming too. Where I, every once in a while, I'm like, uh, which kind of a for loop do I want right. to use here? <laughs> and like that'll kind of happen, like a, just like this little brief fragment of, of verbal thought appears, right? And yeah. then and then immediately goes right back into actually none of that's happening. Yeah, anymore. it was an interesting thing that happens though, which is that so if you, as soon as you start getting into a discipline of any sort, so programming in this particular case for ninety nine crusaders with the, the semicolons, but. Uh, this happens, especially I mean, if you start picking up art of any kind. I know Seth, when you did some when you did some three D modeling just for fun a few years ago, and then you were texture wrapping things. And you have to, and what happens with three D modeling is that the tech the the model gets unwrapped into this sort of like almost disgusting like skinned yeah, version of yeah. whatever the thing was. Yeah. And you'd mentioned shortly afterward that when you're you're just looking around and you're sort of seeing the seams on yeah. objects, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, because, yeah, and I spent a lot of time e- even just making meshes of things. So you spend so much time creating exact 3D representations of things, but only with a mesh. Mm-hmm. So even like untextured. Yeah. So then your brain starts to get into a mode where it's it's visualizing how a thing would be created out of a mesh. So then you like look at a nightstand or something mm-hmm. and you could – like your brain would be like, here's what this would look like yep. with a mesh. And you're like, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need right that now. right now, but yeah. I guess I have it. So this happens <laughs> yeah. in art all the time. So for me with Inkscape, because uh, actually a lot of a lot of logo design and also a lot of signage is done in vector. And I can see where the nodes are now oftentimes, especially if they're not like if they're not well done. There's a, in particular, there's this Froyo shop called Tutti Frutti down the street from uh, my house. And they're strawberry. OK, they have a strawberry. They like, fucked up one of the nodes. It's the sides of it. You can see the nodes are not smooth. Like they have a little bit of a corner in them. I mean, you can see. <laughs> I can see. Are- <laughs> and it's infuriating. Yeah. Every single time it's infuriating. But I've, and also from taking the like gesture drawing courses and stuff like that. What they teach you is that if you're, if you are truly trying to, you know, learn how to draw and learn how to capture poses and stuff, what you should be doing constantly is that while you're just looking at people, you're essentially simulating what that gesture looks like in your mind. Mm. And so every so often, actually, it's like I've, I've in the last probably four months or so, I've really come to way more appreciate just people, even when they're just kind of standing around or have their arms raised behind their head. Because you can see, you just kind of you kind of yeah, lightly lean into the, the overall form. Yeah. Yeah. Because gestures yeah. are all about like you look at the overall form and then you kind of bend it a little bit or make it more exaggerated, and so you start seeing people actually a little bit like that. If that makes sense. Yeah. This but, is, but the consequence of this because if you're not doing a thing, you're losing fluency in it, mm-hmm. and if you're doing something else, you're gaining fluency in that thing. And fluency, and one thing I honestly believe kicks out, like it dramatically speeds up lost fluency in something else. Well, I mean, it's probably so, mainly just that it's a time thing, right? Yeah. Like you can't possibly. Well, you're not spending as, yeah. that much time. So I think the, <clears throat> to, so to bring it back to the question, I think the reason that I don't end my sentences with semicolons is I still spend probably at least an hour to three hours a day writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because we have like part, part of our workflow is that, you know, we're using Trello to write things to each other. We have all decided a long, long time ago, just sort of not even explicitly, but implicitly, I guess, to use proper full English when we communicate with each mm-hmm. other. So, you know, we don't we don't abbreviate anything. We just like write full sentences or periods at the ends, like all this kind of stuff. You know, uh, we had decided a long time ago that that was how we would communicate in you know, in a written way. And because at the end of the day, we all have uh, feed entries where we just report on what we did for that. At the day end of the day, over, meaning literally at the end of each day, at the end of each day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of each day we do that. And so, and then we of course write emails to each other and to people outside the company. Uh, and again, using English, actual grammar, <laughs> written English. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think the fact that, that we do that, and that's a core part of how we conduct work and, and yeah. communicate with each other. Um, I think that's the reason I don't end my sentences with semicolons is because mm. I'm still doing enough to maintain fluency 
in written English. And that's, and that's, that's always been important enough to me that uh, that's a thing that I don't like. I'm, I am having trouble, more and more trouble with my spoken English, but I don't like talking to people anyway. So it's fine. So it's fine. <laughs> but when it comes to, to writing, like, I, I need to know that I can fully communicate with people. Right. So, so I guess if you important. spent like 12 hours a day programming for a week and didn't really write anything yeah. in and English. If, and if the way that you wrote tended to be the way that, that people tend to write in text messages and, and emails which is very now, abbreviated. which is very abbreviated, super informal, yeah. uh, then I absolutely think you're going to start mm-hmm. having terrible writing practice. Okay. Like, and that'll be like, the, that'll be the way your brain just does it now. And I think this is, this is the thing that I, that I really worry about with, uh, and I don't think this is like a generate, I don't think there's anything like that. Like it's not a generational thing or whatever. Get the curmudgeon. But, but, as, but as soon as, <laughs> as soon as you just go ahead and start, start doing something in some way, that's the thing you gain fluency in. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you if thinking in tweets, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly think that, well, that's how people, that's how, that's how you're going to write. Like by default, when you go, if you, if all of your text messages, you know, use the, the letter to or the number two for the word two, right. right? Uh, then when you sit down at some point, because you have to write a paper on something or you have to write an email to somebody or whatever, you now have to do a conversion because mm-hmm. the, your brain wants to put the number two there, right? That's actually how you think now. And now you have to force yourself to be like, oh, no, this is an email. So I need to like to a real mm. person who's, you know. Who's, and then it's hard. And now now you've actually made it hard for yourself. Yeah. And so I think, well, at the time, consciously, I was doing it because I was being curmudgeonly when I refused to like use abbreviations for everything mm-hmm. and so on. And put emotes all and over put the place. Emotes all place. I think the fact that I, that, I, that I didn't do that is the only reason why now I can still write competently mm. <laughs> is because it's still easier for me to write that way. So maybe so you just got to think about where you're time's going yeah and make and sure think about what you're doing, doing something yourself. like a journal entry you know at the end of each at the end of each day when you're done doing your programming or whatever right. you know take 20 minutes and just write out like here's what i did and here's what worked here's what didn't work that's what we, that's what we do at the mm-hmm. end of each yeah. day right with proper grammar yep. full sentences you know? yes our right, next question comes from razor 39325 doing math problems for homework is easy you know exactly when you're done with it and uh but taking sorry but with note taking projects and other open-ended homework or classwork it seems that there is no finish line correct you essentially could keep refining to perfection so the question is how do you determine where and when to finish an open-ended project without taking it all the way to 100 percent perfection mm-hmm. you have to develop an accurate sense of taste that's the first one yeah and the second one is you have to come at it from the opposite side that a perfectionist comes at it because a perfectionist tries to get it as close to perfect as possible, right? You try to get it as close to terrible as possible where it's still good enough. Yep. Right? The phrase we <laughs> like is, what can I get away with? Yeah. Yep. And and as soon as you – but and this, this is why good taste is important though because – and accurate taste is, is important. Because you need to answer that question properly. Yeah, because if, if you if you don't answer that question right – because if you're going for perfect, like you always can end up with a good thing, right? Even if you spend way too much time on it um, because you're not actually striving But you'll for, also always end up disappointed. You'll also always end up disappointed. Uh, and if you have bad taste, then and you come at it from the other way, then you'll always end up with a bad product. Right. So if you say, "What can I get away with?" but your metric of what that means is far lower than what it should be, right. then so you have to decide, yeah. like, what is this thing? Who is this thing I'm making for? What is what does it look like to have good taste? Well, I think that's actually for those people. The key is is I think pre deciding. Yeah, actually right. what, what the goal is. This, because, is, this right. is where the term minimum viable product comes yeah, from. Yeah, so right. in the case of like taking notes for for a class or something like that. So so instead of just saying I need to take notes about like chapter seven of this book arbitrarily, um, you know, you back it up and you say, okay, what's like, what is actually the goal of me taking notes for this? Why thing? am I what taking do notes? notes? Do? Is there an exam coming up uh, or is there a paper coming up? If so, is there a topic that I'm supposed to be covering in depth about that? So I'm going to lean all my notes toward that. And once I get through it, 
and do it once, then I'll, you know, I'll call that good or something like that. Um, or is it just for you to sort of repeat to yourself what's happening so that your notes basically are things you'll never revisit, mm-hmm. but are just but ways to use code. writing to help you burn it into your brain. So this reminds me of when I was in law school. Mm-hmm. So law school students do this, I must say it, asinine thing called outlining. Mm-hmm. So during during class, law school students take copious notes on every single thing that the professor says. I don't know why – I've never seen people do this outside of law school. And it's as if when people get into law school, they suddenly think, I need to start behaving completely differently toward my classwork than they I ever teach? have in the past. Did they teach outlining that? <laughs> no. It's just a cultural thing that law okay. school students do for some reason. Um, so, so first what you do is you take as detailed of notes as you possibly can on every single word that's uttered in class. That's the first thing. So you're you basically you're into a typist during class. You are a court stenographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, then – at the end – toward the end of the semester. So people usually start outlining about halfway through the semester. And outlining is going back through all of your unbelievably, stupidly verbose. detailed, verbose notes and condensing them into something that is more functional, right? And that – because the idea is like, oh, you won't know what's important until later, right? So you need all the information mm-hmm. and then later okay. you'll better I mean, it's kind of – that's a fair rationale. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, until – well, so – <laughs> so, so all of the exams in law school are open note. Right. So you you don't and you can bring any anything that you wrote down, anything at all. You can bring that to your exam. So the goal with outlining is to create sort of a compendium that you can refer back to as you are answering questions about cases. That's sort of a shorthand, so you don't have to dig through right huge amounts of because uh, because usually in it's it's not like doing math problems where like once you learn the formula, then you can solve a whole bunch of different problems. In law school, it's more like you learn. Individual cases right. and then and then each problem, you're going to need to refer back to like 10 different cases mm-hmm. that only apply to that question on the exam, right? So you need to basically a library of cases. Um, and so so people start outlining halfway through the semester and they'll spend three to four hours a day from that point forward outlining their notes. And, and I kept watching people doing this and I, I didn't. I didn't do it. And uh, – <laughs> Because I kept asking the question, like, why are you, why are, are we doing it like this? Because um, you could, again, like striving for perfection and saying, like, I need absolutely every scrap of information possible for my exam. Uh, because so my approach was instead to say, I only need written down the information that I can't remember, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so because if I remember it, I don't want to have to browse through 400 yeah, people, pages. This is actually the thing I saw in college is the first open book test I had was a disaster for nearly everybody because right. everyone just brings their stack of notes. Like, oh, I can just look at the book. And doesn't realize that searching through and figuring out where there's uh, – is It's a costly. huge cost. Yes. So what you actually should do for open note tests like that is – is essentially you minimize as much as possible the, the amount yes. of papers you need to be flipping through. Yes. Which, of course, is the goal of outlining. So so what I did is I took my notes and I rewrote my notes into the form of a question. So instead of, instead of just like, like migrating them over, I rewrote them, uh, turned them into questions, and then I quizzed myself. So I just went through and I tried to answer all the questions. Um, and then I would go back. I'd compare the, my answers to my notes. And if I – if I was wrong, then I would move that – if I was either wrong or I couldn't remember the answer at all, then I would move that question to a new sheet. Mm. So, then, so then I would have something that was like you know, two-thirds cut off. So now I'd have like something that was very small compared to my original set of notes and then I would just do that again. So things that I could – because that means the things that I, that I messed up, I went back and have now looked at twice, right? 
then I would take that, quiz myself on that set of things and keep shortening it and shortening it. So then by the end of the, by the end of the semester for each class, I just brought a single sheet of paper. Mm-hmm. That was all I had. And that was like, these are the things that for whatever reason, I just, they just, don't kept, stick. They just didn't stick. And I kept stumbling over and everything else I was fine with. Um, and people, I could see people kind of like sneering <laughs> right. as they came in with their giant, you yeah, know, Bible. You look underprepared. I've yeah. done it prepared and I actually got the top grade in a couple of my classes. <laughs> um, and I, and everybody else was like, they were having outlining parties, you know, like they would get together for like six hours. They would like be just like outlining, outlining, outlining. And I just didn't mm-hmm. like, I spent probably a third as much time reviewing my notes as they did. Cause I only was reviewing then the stuff that I actually had to be reviewing. Right. So this is kind of comes back to like perfectionist versus almost like utilitarian question, mm-hmm. which is perfection is meaningless. Correct. It's not going to get you anywhere and you're never going to hit it. Yep. So instead you need to think about the purpose of the thing that you're doing and whether or not what you are doing actually lets you meet that purpose. Yeah, I think that the pre-definition of what the hell the point is, is is really what you need to, to kick off those projects. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you're going to start flattering. Like this, this is where I always went with, with web, like this is where, is where my web design stuff used to be, which is I would sort of boot it up and then I was just like, okay, I need to put something over there. And then I just start going. And after I was telling Adam about this, after like four hours of work, I might have just like styled the shit out of a single box mm-hmm. and everything else is still in a jumble. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is horrible. You know, and it's like you didn't need one. If like, I actually just sat back and tried to like wireframe these things, mm-hmm. we've never spent time on this box. Like who gives a shit about that yep. box? So you, you got to approach it from a different angle. Otherwise, you're likely to just kind of drift around. That's what open-endedness does. Like it causes people to drift. This is just yes. the truth. Well, and the funny thing about this is I didn't approach my notes that way because of some big insight that I had. I did it because I wanted to spend more time making video games <laughs> and I just didn't want to put that much time into my notes. Yeah. Right? So I had a I had a completely different goal. I, my goal wasn't I'm going to ace this. My goal was, well, what can I get away with? Like how much? Yep. How can I spend the least time? How possible? can I spend the least amount of time? Not how can I get the best result? And weirdly, it gave me the best result mm-hmm. because I was wasting a lot less time. So yeah, that was it's pretty nice. Uh, I think that's all the time we have for this week. We'd like to thank our producer, Fat Bard, for making us sound good. Thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop into our Discord server over at discord.gg bscotch. Also, if you'd like to adorn your body with Butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop over at shop.bscotch.net. And if you'd like to send us something, we have a mailbox, which you can find the address for over at mailbox.bscotch.net. We'd also like to thank Dwarven Jester for sending us a hundred pounds, four hundred pounds of M and M's, which was part of the meat piece ween celebration. It did include, yeah. yeah, it did include a pumpkin flavor, which I am very scared of. Oh, I'm going to get in on that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, I think there might even be a candy corn, which I'm a little more interested in, but also a little nervous. If about. pumpkin spice latte has taught me anything, it's I'm going to eat that. <laughs> I'm going to eat that. <laughs> it is interesting how divisive pumpkin spice is. It's like, it is, I hate it with like the fury of a, I will say, you, I you actually hate the taste of it oh, or yeah. you hate the concept? No, I hate the taste. Okay. Cause I haven't had it like, yeah, I haven't had it in like eight years probably. Yeah. So I, back then when I was just a wee babby and everything sweet was amazing and I put like That's four true, right? spoons yeah. of sugar in my coffee, maybe nowadays I would just die if I had a pumpkin yeah. spice. We'll find out. <laughs> Tune in next <laughs> the time. time is upon us. <laughs> uh, also, if you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, you can help support the podcast over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. You can also leave us a message there when you do so, and we'll uh, 
we'll put that on the air unless it's uh, you know horrible or an offensive ad. or an ad. So yeah. so just bear that in mind. <laughs> All right, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, and one last thing: Shenanicon. Shenanicon tickets. Meet.bscotch.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are we are space limited, so get get them. Get them and we'll see yeah. you on Saturday. The universe is only so large. That's right. All right. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.